Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. First-hand accounts of what happened during the Holocaust continue to remind us of a dark time in human history. 90-year-old St. Louis and Mendel Rosenberg survived the tragedy and is just now telling his story in a new memoir titled Thriver. The book is co-authored by local writer Dick Weiss, and both Weiss and Rosenberg joined Don Marsh for a conversation earlier this week. We started by asking Rosenberg what prompted him to open up about his experiences during World War II. The many years that I didn't talk about it is I used to have nightmares, the same nightmare constantly. The Germans are shooting at me, and I'm running away. I got shot in my leg, two bullets in the leg, but in the soft spot, so it didn't bother me too much. Mm. But after the war, it was kind of nightmares all about the uh, all about them, the what went on after the war. I couldn't forget it. Did the nightmares ever stop? Yes. Oh, over 30 years it stopped. A friend of mine was teaching in the synagogue, and he asked me to speak about it, and I said, well, I'm going to try, because I don't want to have those nightmares. Mm-hmm. I want to get rid of them. And you did? Yes. Yeah. The story begins, the book This uh, begins with your, your childhood. Yes, uh, that's right here. Yeah, yeah, but I don't point. remember that far. I was 13 when it first mm-hmm. took me into the concentration camp. But before that, you had a very normal, oh, yeah. pleasant life. What yeah. was life like in, in your Very time? good. In Lithuania, was very good. Mm-hmm. What does that As mean? As kids, that means we had went to Hebrew school, we had uniforms, we went there, we had a teacher who was teaching, there was some pictures of the class and the students that were there, we were all together, and it was a normal life. When did it change? How did it change? It changed in 1941. Mm-hmm. No, actually it changed in 1930 when the Russians came in. First the Russians came in and Lithuania became a communist state. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, when the Russians were gone, that's when the trouble started. Mm-hmm. The Germans took over, and they chased out the Russians, and they started gathering up all the Jews. Me, they didn't bother the communion. They said, we came to arrest the men of the house. They arrested my father and my brother. He was two years older than me, was much taller than I. Me, I was 13 years old, and they didn't bother me. They bothered me afterwards, when we decided, they decided to put us in the ghetto. That was a very, very limited space, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Not only was limited, the space was congested. And we had a, a room and a little kitchen. And there were six people in that place. Mm-hmm. It was very crowded. Well, this is a, a terrible way to ask the question, I guess, but do, do you recall what you were thinking with regard to what the future was going to be like at no. that time? Yeah. I didn't think about the future at all during the period of time. Later on, when the Americans came and we were in Dachau, and we were waiting to be liberated in it, any minute of liberated, I tried to think then, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. But... Up to then, I didn't talk much about it. Yeah. Didn't well, think much about it. 
we've jumped to almost the end of the story. We'll, we'll go back in just a moment, but I want to bring Dick into the conversation. You know, what it's like for you, Dick, to, to write a story like this. The, the history is well known, but when it's done on a personal, individual basis and level, it's different. Yeah, I, just to provide a, a little context, uh, I came from pro- one of the more fortunate uh, Jewish families maybe in the world uh, in the sense that my uh, I'm Jewish, but I'm my uh, relatives uh, came to the U.S. in the 1890s, 1880s from uh, Lithuania, uh, also uh, Germany and uh, England. And uh, by the time I came around, uh, 1951, uh, well, Mendel was just getting his start in the U.S. as an adult. And for a Jewish boy uh, raised in St. Louis, is almost like a golden age because anti, there wasn't much anti-Semitism. Uh, many uh, families like mine were getting their purchase on the American dream and getting into the middle class and, and you know, becoming even wealthier, some of them. And so I had the privilege to work with Mendel who had, you know, like an op- the opposite experience. And so it was really um, uh, illuminating and it was a blessing. I, you know, I felt even luckier than I already knew I was uh, in doing this work. Mendel, back to your story. Uh, let's get some sense of how you were moved around as this youngster uh, put into a ghetto, and we that was the, just the beginning. We sat in the ghetto first. We were in the ghetto, and then when the Russians were coming close to the border of Lithuania, they moved it to Stutthof. Stutthof was the first concentration camp where they took us off all the clothes and they gave us striped clothes. And instead of uh, calling us by the name, they gave us a number, and they called us by the numbers. This was in Poland now, correct? No, that was in Germany. Oh, okay. Sturtoff was in Germany. Mm-hmm. I never went to Poland. Good. That is not a good place to be no, during those years, that's for sure. Yeah, the, the boundaries were constantly kind of moving around, and I think it maybe at one point that piece of territory yeah. uh, uh, was in, uh, in, in Poland. But, yeah. um, well. we, I was lucky. I think lucky by not being shipped to Poland. We were shipped to Germany. Mm-hmm. Stutthof was in German concentration camp. There they gave us the new uniforms with the numbers, and then they called us by the number, didn't call us anymore by the name. What, what members of your family were, were with you at this my point? My brother. Just your brother? Just my brother. Mm-hmm. Because my mother was separated as soon as we got into Stutthof. And, and she was in a different part of the camp. Mm-hmm. And there your were fa- no women there. Yeah. And your father? Separated. Your father? No, my father was killed in 1941. Mm-hmm. What were the circumstances of that? I didn't know exactly because I didn't see him, but what I knew was that he was arrested with my brother. We managed to get my brother out of jail, but we were a day late with getting my father out of jail because... They took my father, they made him dig a hole in the ground, and they shot him and buried him. Mm-hmm. Well, what was life like in Stutthof for you? Life in Stutthof was not very long because we were in Stutthof only two, two and a half, three weeks. Mm-hmm. With different clothes, they gave us primarily that, cut our hair from head to toe, and then they shipped us, Stutthof, then they shipped most of all the men 
to Dachau. And what was Dachau like? Dachau was a whole of a different color. Mm -hmm. Dachau was a large concentration camp. They had a lot of people there as Jews and a lot of people as Russians, prisoners of war of Russians. And they were speaking to us in German most of the time. We all speak German. And we knew exactly what they wanted us to do, and we did what they wanted to good what us to do, and they didn't bother us about it. What year was that that you went to? That Dach was in 1944, 45. Oh. Dick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I, I I suspect you would know. If I remember correctly, Dachau was where they perfected the ovens, if you will, That's that ultimately were used at Auschwitz. Does that sound right to you? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, they, um, I know that at different camps, they tried different things, mm -hmm. and uh, some of the camps were simply just to house people and, um, uh, and get rid of them, yeah. uh, frankly. And there were others who were uh, working on the war effort, uh, helping with the war effort, and actually that's uh, part of what uh, Mendel was uh, – tasked to do, and his brother as well. What And what exactly was your job? What were you doing for them? What I was doing, I was doing from primarily labor, and the labor constituted in taking people, making sure they get undressed, make sure that they uh, come in with a new uniform, and their job was getting them ready. Once they got ready, I don't know what happened to them. Who was who was getting ready? I'm not sure I understand. I was that. getting ready the people that they were shipping into Dachau. After our virus, we came to Dachau. Our job was to ex accept the new people that they shipped in, making sure that they get undressed, make sure they get their uniform uniforms, and make sure that they. I don't know what happened to them. Yeah. And part of what they were doing, uh, I believe, uh, Mendel, they were working with a lot of uh, concrete uh, oh, yeah. and uh, building uh, uh, barriers and uh, pillboxes uh, uh, from which to uh, you know, defend uh, the, their homeland. So basically what you were doing was, was, was helping the war effort uh, to the benefit of your captors. Yes. Yeah. That had to be. Uh, did you know what you were doing? Yeah. That's the funny part of it. Yeah. I didn't know it. I found out about it afterwards. Yeah. During yeah. the period of time, I know getting some of the guys with the same uniforms, with the same numbers, like we had. Mm -hmm. Which told you what? They didn't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. They told me the uniform and the number. They didn't call me anymore by the name. They called me by the number. How long were you in Dachau? <laughs> that... Between the ghetto and the dach, I was four years. I was most of the time a year and a half or so. Yeah. I was in w were you aware during this time you were there that people were being killed? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Pe people were dying right and left. Well, they had a gas chamber at Dachau as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. But the gas chamber was after they were killed. They used the gas chamber. Yeah, they would. Um, they would kill them first, and then they used to prepare them for the gas yeah. So they would have um, some people who were useless to them. Mm -hmm. um, they would exterminate um, 
almost immediately. People who couldn't work. People who couldn't yes. work. Uh, Sick. And uh, then as some of the workers became ill, uh, they would prune those, there those, was no, those people, there was and they no. would keep bringing in more people. Mm. Uh, and some of them were not Jewish. Some were yes. others. And uh, they would work them almost to death and uh, kept on cycling through that way. Again, if I remember correctly, there were more non-Jews who died at Dachau than Jewish. Jews, no, so uh, mostly. Yeah, gypsies and uh, Eastern Europeans. When did it end and how did it end for you there before oh, you were able to emigrate? Well, before it ended was that they took us all out of Dachau. They were taking us to the mountains to get rid of us. They didn't want to leave because they were telling Eisenhower and the rest of the Americans that they don't kill and they don't have prisoners of war. And they came in, and when they came in, they had all the prisoners of war could come on foot. They got them out on foot. Us, we were on a train, took us out on a train, were going to take us into the mountains for they were going to get rid of us. Did, were you aware that that was what they planned? No, it was not. Yeah. Uh, we had once the train happened to be stopping near a big uh, camp of German soldiers. And when the train stopped, a lot of the people ran out of the train, started running because there were no guards. So they started running. But then, due to the fact that we had the Germans, the soldiers, they started what did all the Jews with a striped uniform? So they start shooting them mm-hmm. and driving them back to the train. That's where you were shot. In the That's you, yes. were shot you were shot at that point. Yes. At what point and how were you reunited with your mother? Somebody used to go and look for the women. Once we got our strength back, they went and looked for the women in different areas in the occupied territory. And there was the Russian occupied territory. It's quite a bit of difference between the Russian area, the British, the French, and the American mm-hmm. area. We were all three together, and they, one was the Russians, and the Russians wouldn't let in and out of their territory. But some of the guys smuggled themselves in, and they saw my mother. And my mother sent back a message to me that I should stay put in the American zone. See, there were different zones. Sure stay put in the American zone that she would eventually come to me. It took her, took her about a year, February, uh, the end of February. After she, you were shot, how did you wind up uh, with the Americans? Oh, I was, that was right away. I mean, the Americans were there already when I was shot. Even though there was a large German yes. uh, uh, contingent yes. in the area? Yes. Uh, and when when they found you and you found them, what happened? I think the Americans di- tied down the blood from leaking, from draining my f- foot, and uh, left me alone. Alone? Just, just on your own? Well, it wasn't under the one. I say it left me alone because they didn't bother me. They uh, sent a Fedlerfink. Fedlerfink. Happened to be a, f- a, it's a German town. German town. Mm-hmm. And what we did all, we called ourselves stateless. And the reason we were stateless is because 
we didn't want to go back to the country we came from. Mm. So as for st stateless, I was a stateless because I was waiting for my mother. And my mother came towards the end of 1946. And how did you wind up in America? When I saw my mother, the first thing I said, who else was um, alive from the family? She says, all of us were killed. All, all the family was killed. Except you two. So I asked him, where do we have relatives? She said, the only relatives we got is in the United States. And she wrote to them, and they made arrangements for us to come to the United States. You make it sound so easy, and Dick. <laughs> well, yeah. afterwards, it's easy to talk about it. He's, yeah. an, he's an understated guy. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess that. Maybe you can uh, put some meat on this bone here yeah, for me. It's, well, it's pretty remarkable, uh, really. First of all, how it is that his, uh, his mother is in, uh, in uh, one camp, He's in another, and somehow uh, it's sort of a miraculous that they're able to get in touch with one another. She says, stay there, and it takes her a year yeah. to get there. Oh, I knew it was going to yeah. be a year before she And uh, so he, ha he has a life there for a year in this, in Feldafing, which is sort of a refugee camp, mm -hmm. and they had a whole community of, they had the arts and all kinds of things going on there. Uh, and... Uh, but eventually, they, the, the, the family in Ohio uh, sees to their, their travel. They arrive in, um, in New York. I mean, it was, uh, it's like out of a movie, sees the Statue of Liberty and uh, arrives in New York. They've got the clothes on their back and uh, the equivalent of a few dollars in their pockets. And they manage to get to Ohio. And um, the one thing that, that's, that's interesting to me was that... Uh, uh, Mendel uh, at this point spoke like four languages, but English wasn't one of them, and he had to learn English. And he gets into Ohio, and he gets a, uh, managed to get a job through uh, friends of the family that that helped him get there, and um, he he does very well. Uh, he goes to school, finishes education, he uh, gets drafted into the military, even though he is not yet a citizen, and he is eager to serve. He is eager to serve, and, um, and he also, at this job, uh, he meets a pretty uh, secretary who uh, eventually marries. It's wonderful. And a beautiful woman, <laughs> I might say, because there's photographs uh, in there. Right. I, I wanted to ask about those photographs, because many of them are from your childhood. How yes. were these preserved? How did you get a hold relatives. of these old photographs? From the relatives. We so, used to send the pictures taken in, the, mm -hmm. in Lithuania. We send them to them in the United States. I see. So they were gathered here. Gathered you, here. you didn't bring them with you somehow. No, after I didn't have all anything. Didn't. Yeah, no, well, there were a think. few of your, um, uh, of your there was only childhood. One. Uh, how did those get preserved, Mendel? Some of the pictures were for my, my cousins. Oh. Yeah, these are pictures when you're very young. Yes, yeah. so I the, confiscated yeah. them. That, that's why I asked the question, it's because I'm just wondering how we these pictures survived from, you know, 85 years ago. Yes. Well, years and ago. it was interesting that his uh, cousins were deported to Siberia. And the Russians, as the Russians were making yeah, their exit, were they were taking uh, some of the Jews because they were afraid that the Jews uh, would rat them out to the Germans. So they deported... These people get rid of them. So uh, Mendel and his mother are going um, west, and his 
cousins are going, going east. east, and they don't meet up until much, much later in St. Louis. How did you wind up in St. Louis? The company I worked for had 10 years I worked for them making windows, mm-hmm. and I stayed in the window business for 48 years. The next round, they sent me to St. Louis. I opened up a new plant for them, and I worked 10 years for them. Our time is winding down here, but a couple of things I do want to get into the conversation. Number one is, uh, you, you were a little bit late with your bar mitzvah, from <laughs> from what I read. I was nine. I was fifty. No, sixty-five when I had a bar, bar mitzvah. The rabbi uh, insisted that I should have a bar mitzvah. I didn't have a bar mitzvah because I supposed to have the bar mitzvah in September of, uh, eighty-one. And uh, the Germans were in already by that time. Yeah. Well, that must have been quite a day. I'll bet you there was a party. <laughs> yeah, we had a party. We had a nice party. One other point I wanted to get to, Mendel, is um, one of the points of the book, and Dick, you can elaborate on this too, is you wanted to send a message to young people from, from what I understand. Not necessarily young people, because they are the ones that survived. Most of the mid-aged and older people didn't make it mm. after the war. But in terms of today's young people, understanding your story is what I'm getting at. It's not, not, not his age. No. <laughs> no. Not no. that old, eh? No. Yeah, yeah I think what I, the lesson I learned, this young guy who's 67, is, uh, th- well, one, things can turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think people you know, here, just take for granted that we will always have the freedoms and the um, the wonderful life that that we enjoy. And um, that's what uh, Mendel had in Lithuania, and it went away uh, almost overnight. And so we can't take that for granted. And I think the other thing is the, um, the messaging uh, that we hear today is so uh, much like uh, what was being said about groups of people uh, over there before all of this happened. And uh, words matter. And um, we create for ourselves, with the stories that we tell, a culture uh, that is positive and constructive and unifying or with stories that are just the opposite. You have to be careful about that. The sentence I have here uh, from the book is your admonition to today's kids, don't get caught up in today's divisions. Yes, I speak when I speak to them, and I've been speaking now for 30 years. When I speak to them, I tell them, how old are you? If they are after 18 years old, I tell them, first of all, to become a citizen. Second, I say, decide what you want to do. Like I decided I wanted to stay in the window business. I stayed in the window business for 48 years Mm -hmm. before I quit altogether. I want to thank you, Mendel Rosenberg, for being with us, and Dick Weiss for the You're book welcome. and for your story. Uh, nine, 90 years old, you've had a long and a very full life in so many different Who's ways. Who's 90 years old? <laughs> somebody. Somebody. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Holocaust survivor Mendel Rosenberg and local writer Dick Weiss talking with Don Marsh. The two will host a book signing at 11 a.m. this Sunday at the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. We have a staffing announcement. Don Marsh resigned as host of St. Louis on the Air on Wednesday, March 27th. We want to thank him for his more than 13 years as host. Until a permanent replacement is found, 
reporters and producers will fill in. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.